The yeas are 57, the nays are 43, uh, two-thirds of the senators present not having voted guilty. The Senate judges that the respondent, Donald John Trump, former president of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the article of impeachment. And there we have it. Uh, welcome to an emergency bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We are joined by Jonathan Last, Mona Charon, and Tim Miller after this historic vote. Uh, the vote was 57 to 43. That is the largest bipartisan vote to convict the president ever. On the other hand, he is, in fact, acquitted. This is after a consequential day in which the Democrats uh, like thought about having witnesses and then and then caved. Uh, there were seven Republicans that voted to convict the president of the United States, the most ever to vote against a member of their own party. So. I don't know. There's not, not much more to, to, to get into before we just throw it to the throw it to the team. Tim Miller, your take after today. How oh, are you man, feeling? So I, uh, Have you gone, gone through the roller coaster of emotion, or still yeah, like sort of, of emotions? Mostly rage, actually. I don't know that I've had the roller coaster of emotions oh, today. I've been mostly it's Saturday. Rage. Yeah, um, I was rollerblading with my daughter. Hate tweeting uh, today is how I spent most of the hours. So I, it took me. Uh, I was a little delayed in watching some of the videos, but um, it's it's maddening that there was only seven. I mean, I guess in some sense it's nice that JVL was wrong um, and that there were more than he thought. So I do appreciate that. Um, and, and I'm glad that there were seven, I guess. So I guess that's some modest good news that the, 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 the rot is not complete in total, but this was an open and shut case. I mean, uh, and we're going to get into Mitch McConnell, but like, as he said in his post speech, like you didn't need witnesses, you didn't need anything. Uh, it was very obvious that Donald Trump was trying a coup. He was trying a coup for many months. Uh, he held a rally on the very day of the the transition of power. He encouraged the people to march down to Congress. He encouraged them to fight like hell. Rudy called for trial by combat. I mean, you didn't, you didn't need, this could have been a two minute impeachment. And frankly, I think that had, had people taken Trump more seriously, it probably should have been, and he should have been removed before January 20th. But, um, so that that leaves us very fr- that leaves me very frustrated that only seven would do it. Um, it leaves, um, you know, basically one party still enthralled to Donald Trump. Um, it, it means that Never Trump cannot we, we can't like put Never Trump by the wayside, which I wanted to. Uh, we might have to revive that for twenty twenty four. Um, and, and, you know, we have to listen to assholes like Mitch McConnell and Rob Portman, like moralize afterwards after they've created a kind of phony technicality to give themselves an out so that they don't get mobbed by Trump supporters every time they like eat chili at Skyline or go to the airport. And that's really the thing that pisses me off the most, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I want to get I want to get to the whole Mitch McConnell speech, which was amazing in a little, <laughs> in a little while. Mona Charon, your take from the day. I mean, the headline is going to be Trump acquitted, but um, that's. Fifty-seven, forty-three. That's a, that's that's a rebuke at least. Well, or, or, so or am, I, before, am I trying too hard here? Well, before getting to the good news about the seven Republicans uh, who voted to convict, um, let's just reflect for a second on the body blow that, at least for me, it felt like when the verdict came in. Because it, uh, to be personal here for a second, the only thing that I could immediately compare it to in my life was when my mother was dying of cancer and we all knew that she had cancer, that it was terminal, long period of time where she was ailing and we all knew she was going to die. I mean, it was known. And yet when it happened, 
It didn't make it any easier that you had known it was coming. It did not lessen the pain. And similarly, we all knew that Trump was going to be acquitted a second time because of the structure of the Republican Party, because of the nature of these guys. And yet it was a body blow when it actually happened. Um, the, um, as Tim said, um, the term, and, and by the way, the legal term, uh, I actually attend, I actually went to law school. Um, so there's a, there's a term in law called race ipsa locator, which means the thing speaks for itself. And it was the most obvious case of guilt that I think we can, other than OJ, it's hard to imagine <laughs> a case that was more cut and dried, clear as a bell. And, um, and the fact that the Republicans, most of them, um, treated this with contempt, uh, were indifferent to the truth or falsehood uh, of what they were about to do uh, is, is profoundly, profoundly dispiriting. JVL, um, you'd been skeptical that this many Republicans would vote to, to convict, right? I mean, you, you, you were, I were, did not have a high level of confidence even in, in our good friend Ben Sass. I took the under on on a, a over under of four, so I was pleasantly surprised that we got to seven seven Republicans. But at the end of the day, they you remember the old Denny Green quote: "They are who we thought they were," and yep. that is true of the Republican Party. But but here's here's why we should not be surprised. Why I'm not surprised. This is the pattern that we have had since 2015, which is that the Republican Party says. Uh, this guy is dangerous and he's bad news. Somebody should stop him. And there's always, no matter what moment we've been at, there has always been like two or three voices and those voices shift, right? And then everybody else is, takes the, the position of, well, somebody down the road will, will stop him for me so I don't have to act. And it was, it was like this throughout the primaries, right? It was, you know, we had you had people like little Marco making speeches and then, you know, about how dangerous he was. But then the rest of the party was like, eh, we don't have to act. He won't, he can't win anyway, right? And it's it was like that all through his administration. He would propose something crazy. There would be one or two Republicans who say, oh, this is really bad. But the rest of the party says, yeah, just go along with it. Somebody else will stop him if it ever gets really bad. And the Republicans now seem to believe that, hey, don't worry. If he runs again in 2024, someone else will stop him. We don't need to vote on this. Right. We don't need to put ourselves out there. And, or the judges will stop him. Right. Those or the judges, judges will stop him. Or the, the you know, there will be some DA somewhere at the state level who will stop him. And maybe we'll all get lucky and it'll work out that way. But uh, on the other hand, Trump has been underestimated by the Republican establishment at every single turn for five years now. And I just... You know, Tim, Tim's newsletter today, he says, you know, it's the incredibly conservative case that Trump has a 6% chance to be elected president in 2024, which doesn't sound like much, but is better than anybody else, save Joe Biden and possibly Kamala Harris. I think that's low. Uh, I think if you just sort of do the math on this, he probably has like a 20 to 20 to 30% chance to be the president in 2024. <laughs> And uh, my real math, just to some butt for behind the scenes, I wanted to make it conservative so that, you know, I didn't, you know, make it easy for people to mock it. I wanted people to take it seriously. And but I, I my personal math was actually 16 percent. I think that yeah. was, once I did the real. That's probability. close. That's good. That's, that's when the uh, the margin of error. 
So, you know, like maybe someone will stop him then, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. Here's, here's the question. Here's a, can I just want to pose a question to the panel? So if all these Republicans say that the problem here is just this constitutional technicality, are they going to put forth a motion for censure tomorrow before they go on? Is that what they're going to do? No. Are they gonna- I, I want to get to that because I, I think that clearly there's got to be a next step here, especially given some of the comments that, that Mitch McConnell made. Mona, you wanted to weigh in here? Yeah, I just uh, on this matter of um, the judges will stop him. Um, the fact is that contra what Mitch McConnell said uh, about you know the, the all of the options are still on the table. He could be brought up on charges and so on. The fact is that the specific offenses that he committed were uh, uniquely appropriate to use impeachment for, right? Political. Because they involved an attack. They were political acts. They involved an attack on our elections and on our democratic process. And therefore it wasn't a narrow criminal question. It was a constitutional matter that demanded a constitutional response. So that's the first thing. Second thing is- Their election of duty is not, is not criminal. That, that's criminal. exactly, that's exactly right. And, 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 uh, and undermining faith in the democratic process and all of that. Right. And, um, and also, you know, the standards for incitement are different in the criminal law, but, uh, though, you know, might pass that test, but, but here's the thing, um, as I think you guys would probably agree with, you know, you can imagine a scenario in which Trump is prosecuted, uh, criminally and even convicted and yet could still be reelected. Right. I mean, the issue is his followers. And that's why the the remedy that the founders put in there was exactly to shield us from dangerous demagogues who might be popular despite having broken laws. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I, I'm still haunted, JBL, by that poll that you cited in your newsletter the other day that 39% of Republicans say they would support the use of violence if politicians don't do what they want or something like that. I mean, 39% is not a trivial number of people that would actually embrace the word violence. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, sort of vaguely, you know, should we fight back or push back or engage in force? Violence is is pretty clear. So we've we've laid we've laid it out. So let me tell you about my day. I mean, I actually went through the whole roller coaster. Got up today. I was pretty clear that what was going to happen. So I knew it. I was not going to be surprised. It was going to be. Um, and I figured that the vote would be maybe, you know, 50, probably 54, 55 uh, to, to convict. Um and then, of course, you had that complete surprise when they voted to authorize the the witnesses. And I'm sitting there going, did not expect it. you could see that the the Trump people were enraged. They were surprised. They weren't prepared for this. They were completely gobsmacked. And people began talking about the possibility of bringing in these witnesses and maybe it would delay the trial for for two weeks and a lot of speculation of what impact that would have on Biden. But I'm thinking this is this is good. This this shows they are taking it seriously. Uh, you had this bombshell from is it Butler? Is that how you pronounce her name? Jamie Herrera, Tim, you your your buds with her, right? Don't know. No. Okay. Is Tim still there? Sorry, Herrera Butler. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here, Herrera Butler. Okay. So we, I mean, they had that bombshell last night, and it was like they recognized, and we're treating it like a bombshell. You know, and then I started to fantasize about bringing in Mike Pence to do it and everything, and then within an hour and a half. They caved in and this the most like, are you kidding me? You're really doing this. You are just going to roll over. And so at that point, I was so discouraged 
that even though I really, you know, really admired Jamie Raskin and wanted to hear the debate, I actually turned it off and went and did something else. And and actually, I'll tell you, I kind of I took I took a nap this afternoon and, and l- l- later on. And <laughs> and then I realized they were having the vote because I'm, I'm following it on Twitter and realized they had the vote, turned off my phone, figured I better get up and get dressed before I see what the vote is, because otherwise I might be too depressed to get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) I come downstairs, open it up and see people going, Burr, are you kidding? Cassidy, 57 votes. And I have to say that kind of like improved my mood because this really was a surprise (laughs) that, that those guys, I did not see that coming. And it did, though, make you wonder, whether or not if Mitch McConnell actually did have a conscience, and you have a great piece, Tim, about Mitch McConnell's missing conscience, if he would have said what he said later today, I think they might have gotten there. Okay, so you want to talk about Mitch McConnell? You guys want to talk about Mitch McConnell's speech? I would love to talk about Mitch McConnell. Tim, I have a number of other Tim. topics, but I have a lot to say about Mitch McConnell. Okay, I, I want to tease it. Okay, so this is a, in a remarkable day. He votes to acquit. Donald Trump is acquitted. Mitch McConnell then goes to the floor of the Senate and delivers this absolutely amazing speech where he just just tears the hide off Donald Trump. It goes for about 10 minutes, but here's about a minute of it. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. The issue is not only the president's intemperate language on January 6th. It is not just his endorsement of remarks in which an associate urged, quote, trial by combat. It was also the entire manufactured atmosphere of looming catastrophe, the increasingly wild myths, myths about a reverse landslide election that was somehow being stolen, some secret coup. So... And then he goes on to say that he hasn't gotten away with anything because there can still be criminal prosecution. And I mean, part of me thinks that this was that that some of the senators clearly had. I think Cassidy had done this, had created speeches like what they would say if they voted to convict, what they would say if they voted to acquit. And that this was the speech. This was the notes. Right. That he had um, if he was going to vote to convict. And so he's he's reading it. So. Well, okay. I think that's a very generous interpretation. No, no, Charlie. No, I, I, I think, I, I think I he had think the, he he had the, he had the text. Well, okay. I think he. I think early on when they had that little Arab Spring, he might have. But in any case, why did he do this? What what I'll what, what is the, what is what is the Machiavellian play of Mitch McConnell orchestrating the acquittal of Donald Trump, and then basically saying, and by the way, he's guilty of all the shit that he's been accused of. 
I'll tell you why. Because he feels bad about it, Charlie. He feels bad about it, and he wants his wife quit the administration. His donor friends are outraged about what's happening to the party, and he wants to let all of those people know, the the college-educated Republican types, the remaining ones, the ones that are in his social circle from the pre-MAGA days, that he's still on the level, that he's still with them, and that he's genuinely upset. I'm sure he's genuinely upset about the death of a police officer on his watch. I'm sure he's genuinely upset about the fact that people are going to say he, uh, rightly, that he is complicit with the fucking cop killers that came to the white that came to the capitol that day and and took over the the senate chamber but at the end of the day he can't give up his power and you he could not despite the liz cheney vote eking it out you the clock was ticking on him as be be, being the senate republican leader if he had voted to convict donald trump he couldn't do it and and keep the party together Rand Paul said it um, before the speech, and so this was his way of of sparing his, his um, you know his feelings, spare the um, uh, the fact that he feels bad about this uh, while still keep doing what he felt was his obligation to keep the party together. Because what this was not was. Uh, uh, some deep abiding concern about the Constitution. And like the fact that he would end that 10 minutes harangue where he says that Donald Trump is responsible for an attempted coup clear yeah. day that resulted in the death of a police officer by saying the only reason I couldn't convict him is because of this constitutional bullshit that Jonathan Turley came up with three weeks ago. Well, like, also the technicality, the, the technicality that he personally engineered Right. Mm. I mean, you know, he was the one who said we're not going to have this trial before he leaves office. And then afterwards, he basically says, hey, yeah, because, we, you know, it's too late now. We can't yeah, do it. It's a technicality. That is the key point, Charlie. And ju- just to drive it home for listeners who, who aren't following it as closely, the, the Senate went on vacation the day after they certified the election from the 6th to the 20th. The Senate left. Mitch McConnell is the is the person that gets to determine the Senate calendar. The House had impeached by the 13th. They had seven days to convict Donald Trump. So if what he said today was true, if he really believed that it was that clear that Donald Trump was the one that had engineered this deadly coup attempt and that he needed to be held accountable, he had a seven-day window to do it. Plenty of time to hold okay. a, a Senate trial. So so he created the the technicality and then he used it as a cop out to maintain his power. And honestly, I would take a hundred Lauren Boberts over Mitch. I like I'm so pissed <laughs> at Mitch. Like it is just it is far worse than being a moron who actually is on the side of the insurrectionists. I'd rather have them so you can know who your enemy is than listen to somebody defend and coddle and enable the insurrectionist every step of the way and then try to tell us our feelings are hurt about it. Okay, Mona, Charlie, I want, yeah. Could, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, have, I have something to add there. Okay. Well, um, let me on the other side. The Nancy Pelosi basically had the kind of the same reaction. She wasn't quite clear what what game Mitch was playing. And I, I want we'll get to you, Mona, right 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 after. I want to hear your your thoughts on on Pelosi's comments as well. This was Nancy Pelosi after that uh, vote to acquit and then the speech. Hedging all over the place. I don't know whether it was for donors or or what. But whatever it was, it was a very disingenuous speech. And I say that regretfully because I always want to be able to work work with uh, the leadership of the other party. I think our country needs a strong Republican Party. It's very important. And for him to have tried to have it every which way. But we will be going forward to make sure that this never happens. 
Okay, I don't know what that means, but Mona, Mona what do you think? <laughs> right, I don't know what she means by we'll, we'll be going forward and making sure this never happens, but that part doesn't make sense to me. But uh, but the rest of it, I, I completely endorse. I would say, you know, I would have had exactly the same reaction. And as somebody who tends not to always assume the worst about everyone, I like to believe that people are acting in good faith until I get contrary evidence. <laughs> but look, Mitch McConnell... Um, uh, you'd, you'd like to think that he really does care about the country, but you know, back in <laughs> JVL, calm down, sit so down, JVL. I'm too mad to laugh at that, Mona. So I'm just going to give you a okay. verbal ha. Uh, okay, all right, guys. So let me finish. So back in, uh, back in December, when we had a thing, little runoff in the state of Georgia, right, and you had two. Um, senators who were seeking re-election, and they were both coddling QAnon, Kelly Loeffler more than more than David Perdue. But they both did uh, as a way to get support from the Trump base. And Mitch McConnell breathed not a word. There was nothing that he felt the moral need to protest and to say, this is not who we are. And all that, he was as silent as a lamb because his power was at stake. And so for him now to, you know, make this pious speech, I mean, somebody said on Twitter, which I thought was very good, they said, what? what's going on? Suddenly Mitch McConnell is one of the house managers. Yeah, um, that, that's, like that's how he sounded, right. Um, but, uh, but it, but it was, it was uh, disingenuous under the circumstances. It was, you know, he cannot perfume the vote, which he's trying to do. And um, I don't know, at the risk of telling tales out of school, I'll just tell a quick little tale about somebody, I, a senator that I knew who passed away, but who had served with McConnell and uh, many others, and who said at a uh, long time ago, but who said he didn't like him because he wasn't straightforward. He said, you know, I can deal with Teddy Kennedy. If he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. I can deal with Strom Thurmond. If he says he's going to do something, he follows through. He said with McConnell, he's a snake. You never know. Huh. Okay. Now, Charlie, can I, can I yeah, just please. shoot in to disagree with both Mona and Tim on this? I, sure. I don't think Mitch McConnell does not have a conscience or emotion chip installed. Uh, that's just not part of his system software. It's very clear to me what he's trying to do here, which is that he is making an electoral calculation about what Republicans need from voters in 2022 midterms. And they both need the MAGA voters to show up because that is what hurt them in Georgia in the runoff. Uh, and they need to have some sort of recovery among the type of uh, soft Biden supporters uh, from white educated suburbanites and exurbanites that have fallen off during the Trump years. And so he thinks that the way to square this circle is to vote to acquit Trump and then make a very nice speech attacking Trump, thinking that you can just play both things to, to the two different audiences. How is that disagreeing with us? No, it's no, not yeah, no. Tim said he thought that McConnell was, felt bad about the institution that he was oh, trying to see. Yeah, no, his I, I do disagree with JVL, and actually, I think JVL thinks that his uh, explanation of Mitch is worse than mine, but mine's worse. Actually, I, I think that Mitch does have a tiny little, you know, flicker of a soul in there. His conscience may have withered and rotted, but he's got a tiny flicker of one, and I think he was genuinely mad. And, I, and if you watch closely the people around him the josh holmeses his wife 
the Scott Jennings, the people who talked to him, they were all legitimately mad. Partially they were mad because Donald Trump cost them their his majority leadership. So it's part of the reason why he's mad is that. Uh, but I do think another part of the reason is that he, he he found what happened that day on the 6th to be unconscionable. And and I think that he that the fact that he has that tiny flicker of the soul and the fact that he is a little bit mad and the fact that he sees that clearly, it makes the, his actions even worse. Even when I give me the sociopath, Ted Cruz. Okay, give me the sociopath. I don't don't try to don't, don't try to get or garner some you know, good faith sympathy points after you were an accomplice to a, the murder of a cop and a coup. Give me a break. Tim, if you provided Mitch McConnell with a quantum leap style technology, which allowed him yeah. to jump back into the past and change, change events. And he could only do it once though. And his choice was that he could go back to January five to fix the runoff so that Republicans won those two seats, or he yep. could go to January 6th and stop the insurrection. Oh, easy. I would bet the oh. mortgage oh, yeah. that of he goes to January 5th. Yeah, of course he goes to January 5th. There's no conscience of this okay, guy. But here's what he would do is I would think that if he, if he had a machine, he would go back to the day after the election and assassinate Donald Trump and let Mike Pence see to the presidency. So you would have probably won Georgia and not had the thing, you know? So, I mean, I, I agree with you that, that, that his prime, the prime reason he's angry is that Trump cost him the majority leadership in Georgia. <laughs> he is also angry about what happened. And, and that's why he's doing this woe is me shtick. Could we have a consensus here that it would be bad for Mitch McConnell ever to have a time machine? That we, 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 we do not want to have Mitch McConnell with a time machine. That would not work out well. Okay, so we haven't talked much about the decision not to go ahead with the witnesses. I guess I have mixed feelings about it. It did feel like a complete cave. I don't know whether they basically said uh, it's not worth it if it derails Joe Biden's legislative agenda. It's not clear to me that it would have, considering that the um, overworked and exhausted Senate is, has scheduled itself to have another vacation this week. They're going to be on recess. Um, but I also don't know that that the witnesses would have changed any votes at this point. So any, I, any, any thoughts I was on that, Mona? Not, I was not in the, oh, it's exciting, they're going to call witnesses camp. I have had too much experience of looking at you know, people enthusiastically looking forward to having someone on the stand and they're going to destroy this person and it doesn't happen. I mean, this was back when I was, you know, very conservative and very Republican. And I was really keen to see Hillary Clinton be called before the com relevant committees and have her answer these questions about Benghazi or whatever it is, you know, and it doesn't, it, it, it never turns out the way people fantasize it will. Um, so the idea that Kevin McCarthy was going to be called to the Senate to testify and that he would, oh, by the way, Monica Lewinsky was a really bad witness for the prosecution too uh, in the, in the Clinton impeachment. Um, the, uh, the idea that Kevin McCarthy was going to get up there and be devastating to Trump or even Mike Pence, I don't buy it. I, I think that the, um, that the house managers actually won. I mean, it wasn't a great victory, but they did get uh, the uh, Trump lawyers to back off and, uh, and to accept that the uh, statement from Congresswoman Herrera Butler, or I'm yeah. sorry, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, um, would come into the record. Um, and, uh, and, and that whole bluff by the Trump lawyers that they were going to be calling 100 people was revealed to be just that, a, a bluff. 
So I, I just, I don't think it would have changed anything to have had a, a long pr- protracted period of calling witnesses and voting on every witness and hearing from witnesses. I really don't see that it would have made a difference. You know, at one point I did say, I, I, well, I, I did say to my wife, I said, the thing about the, the danger with the witnesses is that, that Kevin, you bring Kevin McCarthy in and he would have no problem lying. Now, Absolutely. Mike, no, no, Mike Pence, I think, would probably tell the truth. I mean, I don't think that Mike Pence would lie. I'm not so on, sure. On a, well, but but it, I, I I had more confidence that Pence would tell the truth. I had zero confidence. You know that Kevin McCarthy would come in and said, yeah, I never said it. Yeah. I, yeah. No, and even though you could bring in 150 people who we told the same story to, even though you could have contemporaneous notes, Kevin McCarthy would sit there because these people actually believe in the power of the constant big lie, small lie, medium lie, just as long as you stick with the lie. Okay. Can I disagree? Yeah, I, I just I, I couldn't disagree more with Mona on this, and I hate disagreeing with Mona. But uh, look, I mean, politically speaking, the Democrats have their boot on the Republicans' throat right now. I mean, the every shred of evidence demonstrates that Donald Trump is guilty. Yep. They can try to do their kind of what about Portland? You know, what about this random Constitution thing that Jonathan Turley made up two weeks ago? Uh, thing, but they they are absurd on their face and calling. Uh, and and I, I also have the benefit of having I interviewed Jamie Herrera Butler recently, and she's phenomenal and extremely compelling and um, a conserv a very like really That's conservative, true. not like a phony yeah. conservative like me, but like I think she would have been a compelling voice. And and bringing Mike Pence to Congress, that's that's the greatest reality show on television. I mean, learn a little something from Donald Trump here. Like, like that, that would have been wall-to-wall TV. Um, you know, I think that Mike Pence would have tried to put his best spin on it that he could, but there is no good spin to the question, did Donald Trump co- contact you on the day that, you, that, that his fans tried to kill you? And the answer is no. I mean, he could plead the fifth, I guess, or he could lie under oath, which I, I really don't think he would on a direct question like that. Now he'll spin and blah, blah, you know what I mean? And, and talk about Donald Trump's broad shoulders and his fabulous hair and all that. But like the facts were on the Democrat side here. So the other thing is they're not doing anything next week. It's, this is this whole notion that like that this is going to delay the COVID bill. The COVID bill is not coming to the floor next week. Like they're doing hearings and they're going back to their districts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I just I think it was a mistake. I'm way more mad at Mitch McConnell and the 43 cowards who I will never vote for again. And I'll spit in their soup if I have a chance to. I, I'm way more mad at them, obviously. But I think it was a clear mistake after a pretty flawless presentation. Well, uh, Tim, one quick point on that. Look, um, if if um, if Mike Pence had come and said what you think he might have said, which we don't, we have no guarantee of, but let's say he did, you think any one of those forty three senators wouldn't have been able to say, "Well, you know, that's a shame about Mike Pence, and and that's really not good," but it's utterly irrelevant to whether Trump incited the riot. These these people all came prepared to riot. It was nothing that Trump did. No. Wasn't Trump's fault? Blah blah. You don't think they would have just retreated? Follow that? up. I I, do, I I and that allows me to clarify. I don't think that Mike Pence testifying gets them to sixty seven. I really don't. I just think the politics of it are in the Democrats' favor to 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 shine as bright of a Klieg light on this as possible. And I think maybe they, you know, you pull over another one or two. I don't think that Cassidy was a sure um, uh, convict vote before the trial. So I, there, you know, there might have been a couple others. I, I, I think in 17 more is, you know, eight more. I agree with you. Okay. I, I wouldn't have. Yeah. 
There so is I, have a, an, I have an awesome there, question um, coming up. Let's, I'm let's sorry, wrap Charlie, it up. Yeah. Can I go ahead. just real quick? Yeah, no, no, I want you to wrap. Yeah. There's another reason to do it, though, which is that we do need a, a historical record of what happened on January 6th. Uh, I mean, what, what this yeah. really cries out for is a 9-11 commission style report, which ticks through a whole bunch of important questions. Where was Trump, right? When, when he went from, you know, 1245 to 1252, where is he? What is he doing? What does he know? What happens with the National Guard, right? There is a whole like black box of like three hours in there where we don't know, well, hold on, why did the National Guard not show up earlier? Did somebody, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was some insinuation that Trump was actually not in control of that, that the National Guard, they didn't want to go to him. They went to somebody else because they were afraid to put the National Guard under the president's control. These are like really important historical questions which need to be answered. And if we're not going to get an actual independent commission to look into this and get all put people under oath and get people to, you know, to have a bipartisan report on this, then it would have been helpful, I think, to have had a bunch of people testify during the impeachment about it. Because again, there are just a, some very important for the history records here, uh, things that we need to know about who did what, when, who knew what, when. And in that way, the principles, I think, are less interesting than just the people who are in the rooms with them, right? Because yes, Kevin McCarthy will lie because he has resources and he can't be touched. But, uh, you know, some third tier aide who's in the room who is not rich and cannot deal with wind up, uh, you know, if they get prosecuted for perjury, you can squeeze them and get them to tell the truth. Well, by the way, there's nothing that prevents the Congress from appointing such a commission. Okay, nothing that's where I want. That, that's where I wanted to go because because I, I'm looking at a lot of the statements that people are making. McConnell, T- Tom Tillis, even said that the uh, you know cr- you know criminal justice system is the appropriate place to look. So that's that's the that the obvious question. So what's next? Where does this go? Um, there's uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mona, but I mean, there's no reason why we can't have that bipartisan 9/11 commission. I think that's an outstanding. Uh, idea there should there ought to be a grand jury looking at this maybe even a special counsel um what do you think of the possibility of invoking the 14th amendment um there's also going to be civil litigation out there so give me your sense on that i mean mona i mean i think that this really cries out to have a 911 type commission no i i completely agree with jvl about that it it does um we really need to get more information um and, uh, and and the Democrats are in control of everything, and there are plenty of Republicans who would who voted to um, to acquit, but right. would but would definitely vote in favor of a commission. I mean, they I would, would say, oh, be overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially a lot of these statements. I mean, what is uh, you know what is Rob Portman going to say or Tom Tillis going to say? They right. voted to acquit, but they're going to go along with all of this. Absolutely. Oh. And uh, and then you know, as as uh, I said the other night on our live stream, um, there are many, many, many other things that still may be coming down the pike, including wrongful death civil lawsuits um, by some of the people whose lives were lost that day, uh, and that could could stretch to encompass many, many people who could be held responsible for their deaths, including and up to and including Donald Trump. So, Tim, I mean, the reason the reason I find this interesting is because you know that there's no exculpatory evidence that's going to come out. That right. every piece of evidence that will come out, you know, in the future is going to look worse for Donald Trump. That every day we find out something different because what happened is pretty obvious, and I think the the House managers did a fantastic job. We all know what happened. So when you start connecting the dots and filling in the you know color mm-hmm. by number and everything. It's going to be ugly. So, yeah, go ahead with the commission. 
I still have this thing about, you know, grand jury investigations. There's the ongoing criminal trials. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention the Fulton County investigation into what's going on in Georgia. I mean, there's stuff that's still yeah. coming. Yeah, I think more is more, um, particularly yeah. on, on the uh, congressional side. And I think, you know, I think the Democrats did a, a largely good job recently. And, 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 you know, these are kind of nitpicks. But I think one thing that they did poorly just overall was just oversight during the Trump administration. I mean, there's a reason why everybody knows all the details about Benghazi, right? Uh, I mean, like there is power in congressional oversight. And so I, I think that the Democrats could have done a better job of that before the election. And I think that they should over the next four years. And anyone who is telling them to move forward and not look back is giving them really bad political advice. And so I, I think more is more. And I, and I agree. I, I'm a little bit skeptical, like the Fulton County and some of these things. Um, I, I do agree on the civil uh, area that, that Mona mentioned. And I read this article this morning. I feel like it's gotten pushed under the rug, like the two police officers that committed suicide after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, so I was reading about them this morning and their families are very upset, rightfully so. And this is, you know, you, you, you want to be cautious talking about people's mental health. And obviously there's a lot going into it, but at least in one of the cases and the, the, the wife of the, of the officers is, you know, he's like, she's like 35. He, he was, he totally changed the night he came home. Like he thought he was going to die, die. He had major head trauma. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, that is all uh, just, again, uh, both supports how unconscionable, it was for these Republican senators to let let him off the hook on this, um, but also I think reinforces the idea that that civil action is is probably coming, and it could even come from the family of uh, uh, that woman who was shot. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You could imagine a, a lawsuit in which they allege that she was a misled and led to her death. So let's pull out the the lens. She was, yeah, she was led to it. Okay, so Javia, this whole week. Just stepping back from today and in the final this whole week, was it a good week for America or a bad week for America? A really bad week for America you know, on, on a bunch of different fronts. I mean, first of all, impeachment has been destroyed as a constitutional mechanism. Uh, it is now clear that impeachment is nothing more than censure and censure, you know, it's censure with a really high bar and censure itself then is is dead. Right. Uh, you won't get that to pass anymore. I, I frankly hope that Democrats in Congress do push motions of censure on Trump because it would be good to get Republicans on the record saying that they're not even willing to censure Trump for for what he did, yeah. which I'm sure the vast majority of them would not be willing to sign on with. Uh, anyway, so you have this constitutional mechanism breaking. You have uh, a huge swath of the country, which is is eager for more. Now, when I say huge swath, again, I don't mean it's like a majority, but you know, when you're talking about 40% of one of the two major political parties, that is tens of millions of people. And they, for them, the violence is the point. And they have a taste for blood now. The idea that they're going to be satisfied with Josh Hawley's plan to, to hold big tech accountable or something, when they now know that they could get uh, go to the streets and take that take your country back by strength, that's you know that that's just not going to satisfy them anymore. And that is, you can win a presidential primary with forty percent of the of the of the party. Yeah, you can absolutely so, do it. 
So let me let me concur in part and dissent in part um, to that because I agree with that. I'm really worried about that. I, I think that you know I I I heard somebody else. This is not this is not my observation. I wish it was that if there is an unsuccessful coup and no consequences, then it's just a rehearsal. And so I I, 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 I do worry about that a lot. But the reason I think that this week was not a terrible week was that it actually happened, that you actually had the United States Senate spend a week treating this with the gravity, at least on the side of the House managers, that it deserved, that they told an amazingly compelling story and that millions of Americans got to hear this story, the narrative of the story. They got to see the images. Those are indelible images. And so you know, although he's not held constitutionally accountable, this was a week of accountability. And so the the alternative to this week would have been if there had been no impeachment at all and this had gone into the memory hole like every other thing that's happened. So to that extent, and I do think that the the Democrats exceeded my expectations at in every possible way, as we said during the live stream. And it was it was a remarkable performance. They told the story. Um, they put on a performance that made it dramatic. So I think that that was good. And so, yeah, we do have a lot of the country that's OK with it. But I think we have a much larger portion that is not OK with it. And now they've been armed with with information. And I have and I have to say that that maybe this is this is my half full thing, that the fact that you are seeing um, some of the statements from the seven, all of whom issued a very eloquent statements. And even some of the people that voted to support Trump are basically saying, yeah, but he's but he's but he's a menace to society. You know, on balance, um, I'm disappointed by the result. I think I think it sets a terrible precedent. I agree with the JVL about the possibility of violence in the future. But I, but I think good things happen this week, too. Oh, can I chime in on that, uh, Charlie? And just just really quick uh, to say that I agree about how terrific the House managers were. To the point where I would even say, as as terrible as it is that that we the forty three Republicans were unmoved, the fact is those people were inspiring. They were a reminder of the things that we all used to take for granted about the country, the values that we all claimed to adhere to, um, and they spoke it so eloquently and with so much passion and emotion, and it was something to admire. And frankly, in our politics, there's been so little of that lately. So that was a good outcome. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with JVL on how it was a bad week for America, but I, I'll, I'll end with, um, I just have three uh, quick people to compliment. Um uh, that was good weeks for uh, Timona's point. Joe Nagusi in particular. I mean, the whole team was good, but Joe Nagusi is so good, and that guy's going places. And it is nice. And you look at the re- young Republicans that they elected, like this recent, you know, the Nancy Maces and Madison Cawthorns that make you want to throw up. So it's nice yep. to see yeah. young people elected to Congress that, that actually care about this country. Um, Bill Cassidy. Uh, I just a, a quick story uh, during Donald Trump showed up to the LSU national championship game to try to be the turd in the punch bowl of my great night of joy uh, right before the pandemic last January. And um, when he walked out on the field, uh, my little posse started booing him. And it was a I mean, it was it was kind of a dangerous, dangerous to be overstated, but a little bit of a hot situation uh, in our section. You know, I mean, like the people around us were 
like were menacing us, cheering loudly, yelling at us, pointing at us. There was a, a, a black family in front of us. that was just like silent. Like one of them was looking at me and I felt like they were saying, just shut up. <laughs> like, like, why are you starting picking a fight? So I, I say that just to say that like, look, this, the Louisiana, um, uh, crowd uh, is not going to be welcoming to Bill Cassidy no. when he goes home. Uh, and he's going to have people yelling at the airports and he's not exactly been a beacon of courage and principle over the last four years, but that was a brave vote. Um, and uh, you know, when you look at people like Rob Portman who are, who are retiring and have, you know, uh, still didn't have the courage to do it. Um, I just give him a lot of credit. And the last one is nobody, I, I just don't think anybody's going to give Joe Biden any credit. Um, for the fact that he has kept his mouth shut. Uh, but, you know, he promised that he was going to unite the country, and that's why he was running. Um, you can imagine a Democratic president that was making things worse right now and inflaming things and um, and increasing the temperature. You could disagree with Joe Biden on a strategic matter of whether or not he should be, you know, pushing the gas a little bit more on this. But um, he's living up to the what he campaigned on. And, you know, I, I wish that there were, you know, Republican, good faith Republicans and conservatives out there who would credit him for this because he's doing what he promised and he is doing what he said to not try to. Um, you know, poke his finger in the eye of people that voted for Donald Trump. And that's refreshing after what we had to deal with the last four years. Let, let me read you a paragraph from uh, the, the New York. Let me make sure I get this. It looks like uh, it's with Alex Burns writing in the New York Times. Have you guys seen this? The political memo. Yeah. Ale Alexander Burns. This is I think this just went up in a few, uh, last few minutes. Uh, Miss, Mr. Trump's acquittal stands as a defining moment for the party that he molded into a cult of personality. One likely to linger in the eyes of voters and leave a deep blemish in the historical record. Now that Republicans have passed up an opportunity to banish him through impeachment, it is not clear when or how they might go about transforming their party into something other than a vessel for a semi-retired demagogue who is repudiated by a majority of voters. Wow. I like spicy Alex Burns. That's yeah. Cool. I, anybody, anybody disagree with that? I mean, every 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 word of that, this is a defining moment. This was their last chance. This was their last chance to move on. They chose not to take it. You know, well, and, they, and, they, bought, they bought it. They broke it. They well, bought it. You know, I mean, you know, it is certainly worrisome that one of our political parties is no longer no longer believes in democracy. On the other hand, Electorally speaking, things have not been going well for that party. They lost the House, they lost the Senate, they lost the presidency. Um, the 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 demagogue never had majority support the entire time that he was president. Um, he's in even lower regard with most of the American public now. Um, and so, if this means the death of the Republican Party, fine, we'll get we'll get a new party. Yeah, but the, that's that's not where we're going, though. I mean, the, the thing about it this way, I think Dave Wasserman tweeted this out today. He's, you know, Trump presided over the deaths of 400, 450,000 Americans, a massive snap recession, uh, had did only did lost a plurality vote in 2016, was underwater on popularity for all but one week of his entire term, lost by 7 million votes. And yet, still came within forty nine thousand votes in a few states of becoming president again. Uh, the, the institutional advantages which the Republican Party enjoys, uh, because of frankly just the, the the native gerrymandering of the states and then the the micro gerrymandering of congressional districts, makes it absolutely possible for them to win at the national level 
in all three of the branches, you know, the House, the Senate and and the executive with only like 42, 44 percent of the vote. This is they don't need to be a majority party. They don't even need to pretend to be a majority party. And that that was Trump's great uh, his great innovation. Right. Every other Republican presidential candidate of our lifetimes has even if their strategic calculations were different, their public calculation was, I got to try to look like I'm winning 50, 50 plus 1% of the vote. And Trump decided to screw that. I'm going to run trying to get my 44% or my 42%. And, you know, if the dice come up the right way, that should be enough. And I, you know, we are heading towards just a very, very dark place in this country. So on that bright and cheery note on the night before <laughs> Valentine's Day, so I, 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 as soon as we're done here, I have to go out and put my boots on, and it's one degree here in Wisconsin, and I have to snow blow my driveway because we had four inches of snow, so it's the worst of all possible worlds. I know that, that Mona and Tim have to go to uh, Valentine's Day parties, and and I know that the JVL is going <laughs> we don't to the watch party. Valentine's and, here. and JVL is going to the watch party for the French Village. So, yeah, there uh, you go. Hey, listen, you you're bragging about your snow in Wisconsin, and you know you get bragging rights. That's fine, but you know what? There's something worse than snow, and it's what we've got in the DC area right now: ice. Ice oh, is worse. ice. Really, we have no ice here. Yeah. So- I will tell you the high point of my day today was when I got a box of hand warmers, you know, delivered from Amazon.com because because <laughs> I I'm, I'm sitting here thinking what I'm thinking you know you guys are thinking about the future of America and the Constitution and everything I'm thinking about you know uh, how many hand warmers and foot warmers will I need in my gloves. <laughs> over the next hour to go and finish this job. So that's, that is where we're at. Well, happy Valentine's day to everybody. For those of you that, that, uh, that, that celebrate that. And uh, for those of you that don't have a happy Sunday. Um, thanks for listening to the bulwark podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mona. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Jonathan and all of our listeners. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday and we'll do this all over again.